Danielle Folk. I'm a wife, mother, sister, daughter, as well as a steward to a 186-year-old farmhouse. I've returned with my family to the country and have found value in the stories of the lives that came before us in this old house. And because of their story and the experiences out here in the middle, I now have a better sense of the value in a life that seeks a meaningful story and who is willing to be shaped by it. Want to become rooted in living your best life? Well, hop in the car, lace up those shoes, start that load of laundry, do whatever it is you need to do, and get ready for a quick trip into the country where I'll share stories of homesteading life and restoration. Together, we'll dig into topics that will lead you to reflect, rethink, and become more rooted in who you are today. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Grounded in the Middle. It is always good to join you right here on the front porch of our 1837 farmhouse. And today I am so excited to have joining me Emily Mullen from our local Mullen Dairy and Creamery. So friends, I hope you will enjoy this amazing interview with Emily and learning about how she is walking in her family's footsteps. So she's incredible. And um, I'm really excited for you to hear her interview. Let's tune in. Thank you so much for joining today. And Emily, would you be uh, willing to kind of share the family history of the dairy farm? Absolutely. Once again, thank you so much for having me. Um, so my family farm was actually established in 1898 by my great-grandfather, William Mullen. Um, at that point in time, the average prices for corn were like 40 cents a bushel. So obviously a lot of things have changed in the economic world of the agricultural industries in general. Flash forward 100 years from then, I was actually born in 1998, which means our farm has now been in our family for almost 125 years, which is pretty oh cool. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> yes, we've evolved from doing a little bit of everything, which is what most family farms used to look like in the United States, where you had a couple chickens, a couple hogs, dairy cows, as well as crops, to where our family, like most farms, de decided to pick one industry to really hone in on and decide to perfect all the imperfections we have, to really give our animals and the livestock a better way of life. So my family chose to do that with the dairy industry. So by the time I came along, we only had dairy cows. That's what most of my agricultural background looks like, is understanding what it's like to work with these amazing animals each and every day. So what was it like for you as a child growing up then? What, how, did you live near the farm? Did you live on the farm? What was kind of your involvement with it? You realize at a very young age that as a farm kid, as funny as the term as that may sound, we're really a breed all of our own. You realize at a very young age that you're very different from the peers that sit with you in the classroom each and every day because of the experiences that I had at my home were so different from that of even the teachers that were in charge of leading my classes. Quite literally, when my dad needed to go to work, he walked out the back door and off the back porch and into the barn. <laughs> Whereas all of those kids that I went to school with had parents that commuted to work. Um, and especially when I was in elementary school, working from home really was not a big thing yet. 
So it was really cool. And I thought it was awesome that my parents were always at home. It wasn't a big deal. If I was sick from school, somebody would manage to come get me. It wasn't a big deal. But at the very same time, as an ag kid, you realize very quickly that we're a different breed in the sense of we understand the life cycle at a very young age. We understand that these animals are here to provide us with a resource. As much as we love them, they're not our pets. And that is something that's also really difficult for a lot of young kids even today to realize is that these animals have a job here, but it's the producer's responsibility to take care of them with the utmost care until they reach the end of their productive life. So those things almost make a kid seem jaded to a lot of teachers because we're tough in ways that other kids aren't. I think it's neat growing up in a rural community, the local school district, I mean, I assume that there that there were, you know, some kids or other kids for you to make friends with. Um, can you tell us about your experience with 4-H? Because I believe yeah. that you have a really good connection with the 4-H community. Yeah, the 4-H is awesome. So farm kids are the misfits because as much as we are a rural school district, a majority of the kids in my school district lived in town. So there was probably five to 10 kids in my grade that also went home to the same experiences that I had outside of my back door each and every day. And the 10 of us were often in the same 4-H group. 4-H is so special because for the first time, I was celebrated for my unique skill set. And by unique skill set, I mean that most ag kids don't always thrive in the public school system because at a young age, we're taught to learn with our hands and to learn by doing. And that's not always the way curriculum is set up in the public school system. And that's totally fine. But when you finally find an organization where you do something that you're celebrated for, and it's also something you love and connects you to what your parents bust their butt doing each and every day, as a young kid, it starts to build your self-confidence in a way the public school system couldn't do for us. What did you end up showing? Um, I assume that you did dairy cows, but was did you ever show or do any other aspects of 4-H? Because I know it's not even today just animal related, that other things can be yeah. contributed. So what was your experience? What were things that you showed or, or entered? Absolutely. So here's a little bit of a catch. I actually was the dairy farmer's daughter who showed horses. Oh. My passion for a very long time was equine, and I truly believed that that was what I was going to do for a living. I always took one or two dairy heifers to the fair, but it was the same day as the horse show. So I always had a friend walk my cow in the ring for me because it mm -hmm. always, I mean, I was a 4-H member for 10 years, and they always ran on the same day at the same time, which was a bit of a disappointment. But like I said, at that point in time, my passion was with the horses, and that's where I really wanted to be. I had a pretty life-changing event um, in my year of eighth grade. I incurred a severe concussion due to actually a farm accident. Mm -hmm. um, that concussion was brought into my life to really change the course of what my passion was. I truly believe it was an act of award. I was actually out of school for four and a half months. I almost didn't get to go on to my freshman year with the rest of my class. But the 4-H and the FSA chapters that I was a part of are a big reason why I was still able to succeed and move on with those classes. And that injury is really what pushed my interest into the dairy industry. Okay, so um, I have to ask, did you go to the Butler County Fair? 
Oh, absolutely. So what was your favorite part of it this year? Where do you like to hang it's, out? It's really special as an alumni member to see kids that when you were in your second or third to last year of 4-H, they're now entering their second to last year of 4-H. And to see how much those members have grown and what they've evolved from. It's not as though we're their parents, but in a way, that's what's also great about 4-H is you're encouraging older kids to help the younger generation. And you're getting to see a, a kid that even if you just spent 15 minutes with them and a troubled animal before they walked in the show ring, that left an impression on that kid's life. And when those kids come back up to you, oh, it's so good to see you again. What have you been doing? And now they're the kings and queens of the fair. It's a really special feeling. It doesn't necessarily matter where you are at the fair. It's just to look around and see that it's alive and well. And the kids that were coming up behind you have put it in a better place than you left it. That's incredible. I mean, what a community to have and to be a part of. Um, there's something about belonging and there's something about finding your place, you know, um, and being surrounded by people who support you and encourage you. It really helps push you forward in the things that you, you love to do. Um, but gosh, I mean, I can't imagine not having a community that supports, that supports you. And so I think that's so neat that you found it in such what is really kind of unique and uncommon these days in 4-H. I want to talk to you a little bit about after 4-H, after graduating high school, how did you know how you wanted to move forward? Are you are you in what you hoped to be in or did you take a different route? Absolutely. So when I entered school, I became very, very active in the FFA chapter. The great thing about FFA and 4-H is they really do partner together. And the FFA is more of the older advanced kids that you've been in 4-H for a couple of years. You understand what you're doing with animals, but now we're going to tack on this social side of it. How do you present yourself as a young person in the ag industry? Because it's especially important now that we're dealing with consumers that are two to three generations removed from production agriculture. The individuals walking in grocery stores today have no idea the story and the struggle that's behind the food in that fridge. That's where the FSA stepped in for me and really helped sculpt my dream and really what my farm has turned into. After my injury, I was very, very laid back, didn't want to talk to many people. Um, it had unfortunately given me spouts where I had issues with my memory. Short-term memory loss is a very big deal. And that makes school a really difficult place because not every teacher is willing to understand that you've been through something that most individuals never face in their life. Mm. But the FSA was there to give me a home within the four walls of that school building. And it wasn't just for a portion of the year was all year round where 4-H can't always hit because it's just during fair season. I had a teacher who believed in me before I believed in myself and he pushed me to start doing public speaking events. And it was when I started doing these public speaking events and people were asking me questions that I realized I was pretty unique. And what I did for a living actually made me special instead of an outsider and that that was a story I needed to share. That's when I got the idea of bringing people here to my family's farm. So as a sophomore in high school, I actually was working at a place that did agritourism, which means they brought people to their family's farm to give them just a little taste of what a farmer's day-to-day -day lifestyle looked like. I'll never forget the day I had a really forward customer 
accused me of mistreating animals and some really, really horrendous crimes. And as a 15 year old, I was like, whoa, why are you so angry with me? Because I'm a farmer. And the more I started to ask this lady some hard and uncomfortable questions, I realized that she truly believed that farmers were monsters. And that if I didn't step up and set the story straight, more and more people were gonna view this industry as the same. And the FFA helped cradle me into opening this place up to the public. So I don't only get to tell people my story, but I get to show them, which is what's so important. So what does that look like when you invite others to um, the farm? How did you kind of structure that as a program for people? Because I'm sure there's, I'm not sure how many you have there helping, but that's a lot to take on in addition to your just daily activities and, and jobs that you have. Absolutely. And I don't believe that every producer should have to do this, what I'm doing with my farm. We have enough on our plates that the last thing we need to do often is add one more piece to the puzzle that we have to get completed. But for those of us that are passionate about it, it's important that we expand on those things and figure it out. So here on the farm, I am a full-time employee. I've taken over from my father who has some declining health issues. But my little sister runs our creamery. The creamery is a huge implementation to the dairy because it means when people come here to pick up their milk, they also see the animal that is producing that product, which is really important for them to click the pieces of that puzzle together. Okay, milk comes from a cow. Well, how is that cow cared for? That's really where I step in. It's really important that when people come to your farm, it is a clean place and they realize that animals aren't being left outside. Or on the flip side, when people see that my cows are locked in the barn in the middle of July and they think that's a horrible thing, I take a step back and I explain to them, hey, these cows experience heat stress, it's 65 degrees. They're hot and they don't want to deal with insects either. Being able to relate a 2,000 pound animal to a 200 pound person is something that's really important to bridging that gap, but never forgetting at the end of the day, these animals are a resource and they still have to be treated with respect, but they are not our pets. It's really hard sometimes to get that point. A great lesson and a great experience for people to step in and see for themselves. I used to teach and I was in kind of like the city and a lot of children, we would go on a field trip to local orchards or, you know, different like farms in the fall, of course, to get your pumpkins and such. Um, but what I found interesting was so many kids had never seen a cow and like, and that to me, having grown up across the street from cows, seeing them work, like, I just couldn't believe that there, there are people and children who have not seen these these amazing animals and they don't have that connection. They don't see their true purpose. And, um, I think that's incredible that you're sharing it the way you are. Now, I do believe that you have just built a new building though, for your cows to be in. And you have taken everything, not only for consumers to see them, but you've stepped it up in a way when it comes to milking. This new facility is definitely the largest uphill battle I've ever trekked on. Um, but the facility was built with the idea in mind that I was going to be the sole person running the livestock side 
things. So I needed a facility that allowed me to properly manage about 100 cows in one place. The easiest way to do that was actually to implement a robotic milker. What's so cool about the robotic milker is watching these animals' behaviors change. Because in the old facility, I went and got these cows twice a day, every day, to go milk them. With this robotic milker, the cows actually get to dictate their own schedule and determine when they go get milked. Each and every cow also wears a responder, which is like the equivalent of a cow Apple Watch or Fitbit, which tracks oh every step that she takes a day how many minutes a day she's eating, what her temperature is, how many pounds of milk she produced, if her fat and protein level has fluctuated in the milk, which is honestly the best way to individualize a cow so that I can determine what the best health treatment plan is for this animal if she begins getting sick. And it's so important that I'm able to show the public that on the flip side also so that they realize farmers are not unintelligent. We actually use a lot of technology to keep these animals healthy. But with the implementation of the robotic milker, I no longer spend six hours a day in a milking parlor. It's basically six to eight hours a day in my schedule that I freed up to one, sleep a little bit more because I was not getting an adequate amount of sleep to be healthy. But also you're able to take those four to six hours that are left and actually implement them on places in the farm that allow you to make these cows' lives better. Instead of being in the same location each and every day at that time frame, I'm able to diversify my work schedule and really make sure that a calf that I should have spent an extra hour with, but I couldn't because I had to go milk, gets that extra time. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. That is so neat that you have devices that they wear. How common is this that farmers are beginning to use these tools? How long has this been around this technology? It's becoming more and more common because there's also a huge issue in the industry as far as educated workers and finding someone that understands your shift here might not be an eight hour shift. It takes one animal to turn a 10 minute job into a two hour job. It's really difficult to find labor, especially on a small farm that is willing to put in that extra mile that's required to make sure these animals are cared for. I believe we're gonna see more and more small farms switch over to this robot. It's already an upward trend in the US. A couple of the farmers that I actually went to visit with had had them in for seven to 10 years. And oh, wow. they were older farmers who had adapted to this technology. So it's not necessarily only the new dogs can figure this out. There's a lot of old dogs that are using these new tricks and really figuring out how to hone in and take care of these cows in the best way possible. Europe has always been a little bit ahead of us as far as technologies implemented in the ag industry. Um, Laylee is the brand of robot that I use and they are based across the pond, but we have a North American branch over here that helps out. They are just so good at truly observing an animal and setting up a piece of equipment to work around the animal schedule, not just in a way to make the human's life convenient. That's often a breaking point is, are you making it better for the person or the cow? And it's so important to meet in the middle there. And that's why so many small producers find it easier to invest that money in a piece of equipment that's quite frankly mm -hmm. doing a better job than a lot of skilled dairymen would be able to do. Yeah, I kind of wondered about that until you mentioned about the tracker and being able to know so much about your individual um, 
individual cows. So what I think is cool is what you said, that it's not just for the new dogs, it's for the old ones too. Meaning that the farmers who have are seasoned and have been doing this, they can step into it easily as well. And I, the farmers that I have met, they don't want to ever stop. They don't ever, they don't want to really slow down. And this allows them to continue doing what they love and what they were born to do. And that is absolutely incredible. So is this something that is, like you said, it helps you with, you know, finding help, finding hands. That is such an issue. And, and it's freeing up time for you to spend it, you know, more wisely in other areas of the business, uh, what was that like taking on this investment? Because I'm sure that was a business move that was had to be well thought out. You had to have a plan moving forward, kind of a risk. Um, what made that, what was kind of the tipping point of like, we're going to do this and, and we know it's going to work. It's going to be good. How did you make that big decision? I think a lot of small farmers today are being faced with two options. It's either too expensive to update your facility so that you can continue to run it properly or you get out. And that sounds terrible. And it was honestly where our farm was sitting. I either had to make a huge financial investment or my cows were leaving this operation. It's so important that our small farmers realize that if we diversify our farms, we can keep more cash flow here. That's where we have the issue competing with these larger dairies. And I'm by no means here to badmouth large farms. Large farms are so special because they give people the opportunity to work a five-day work week for eight to 10 hours a day and still go home and have a personal life. The dedication of a small producer is unmatched by any industry or any individual on this planet. Because at the end of the day, it is you and you that is responsible for 300 head of livestock and making sure you mm. grow the food for that livestock and taking care of your family and still paying the bills. That is where diversifying helps. John F. Kennedy once said, the farmer is the only man in our economy who purchases everything at retail, sells everything wholesale and pays mm. freight both ways. It was one day that I read that quote, I realized I needed to figure out a way to sell my products for a retail price because wholesale wasn't going to keep cutting it for us, especially if I wanted to maintain a stakehold in this industry. So while I was in college, I looked for a way to start small. And small for us was cow's milk-based soap. I've seen people do it with goat's milk all the time, and it was a pretty minimal financial investment because all I needed was some kitchen supplies and a Facebook page. I was able to start making this soap. There was no expiration date on the soap. It didn't matter how long it took me to get rid of it, which was very different from my end goal of bottling milk, where I have two weeks to get rid of a product. You have to keep in okay. mind each and every section that you're trying to diversify into and figure out where to start that is safe. It was once we built up selling the soap and the lotion that I finally felt comfortable enough to purchase the creamery and start bottling milk. I had a neighbor tell me, you just got to slap some lipstick on the pig and see how it looks. <laughs> because our operation was not pretty. I mean, it was falling apart. My dad had four girls. Nobody was coming home to farm, according to him. And all of our barns were at least 20 to 25 years behind on being renovated. 
I mean, quite frankly, my animals were not living in a place that was safe for them, which was also something that was hard for me as a producer to swallow. My father couldn't be blamed for this, though, because he truly believed nobody was coming home. You don't invest money in something if it doesn't have a purpose. That's a huge part of the ag industry. So once we started bottling the milk and I had that extra cash flow, I then knew that I could embark on the adventure of building this new facility. I knew that I was going to be able to continue to grow the creamery as long as things kept on going on the upscale. Using things like QuickBooks and Square apps that check my customers out are so important for having a tangible way to track how poorly or how well you're doing. Understand how your marketing campaigns are doing. And honestly, talking with your customers is so important to figure out where your foothold actually is in your young and growing business. Once I knew I had that cash flow and I was going to be close, we started construction. Making an investment on a robotic milker is nothing small. It's a $250,000 machine. It is not cheap. But my time is more well spent educating the public and bringing people through on tours. I am going to make more money bringing people here on a tour than I would be able to make standing in a milking parlor. And I don't want to rely or I don't want to rely on an employee that might not be accountable. So I'm going to purchase a machine that's going to do a better job than that employee. And instead of a paycheck going to a person, that paycheck is making a payment. That's another trade-off we have to consider here is as much as I hate to say we replace people with technology, sometimes that's the better thing for the animal as well. Wow. Incredible. You are such a mastermind <laughs> behind all of this. I, from you, from you starting in this conversation about being that different kid sitting in the classroom, maybe not, um, I don't know about you, but maybe it was more difficult for others to perform under that classroom environment, but Wow. There is so much that goes in to what you are doing and you have made it into what it is today. And I'm really excited because um, I need to come over and see you uh, to try some of your milk. I know that you actually have your milk delivered to stores and I know a lot of them are donut shops around here. Yes. So something that makes our milk really unique is that we actually have 25 different fluid milk flavors. When you go to the grocery store, you typically see white, chocolate, and strawberry. Once again, we needed to diversify. I needed to have something different that made you say, I'm willing to drive 20 minutes out of town to go to that dairy farm to try this milk because that sounds crazy. That's when we started doing things like cookies and cream, which is a very safe bet. And then we got very unsafe and we made cotton candy flavored milk and people oh love gosh. that too. Oh, oh yeah. If you can think of it in a, I probably tried to put it into a fluid milk and those different colors get the kids excited. want to drink blue milk. It <laughs> is really cool to see the reactions of the customers when they get to try those products for the first time, because unlike anything in the grocery store. Delivering to those bakeries is so important because guess what that is? Advertisement. The more places you get your label on a store shelf, the more people see that. The more people say, oh my gosh, that's local. There's one thing that COVID-19 did for the farming industry as a whole. 
It's that when people went to the store and for the very first time, that product they took for granted was not sitting on that shelf. They thought about where it came from in the first place. Mm-hmm. That really helped stimulate the strength hold between producers and consumers. And I always tell the people that come here to purchase my products, you're responsible for holding me as the owner of these livestock accountable for how I raise these animals. And if you don't like how I'm raising these animals, we need to have a conversation so that you feel like the product that you're choosing to feed your family is not only safe for you, but safe for the environment and the animals that are providing this product. I I think it's incredible to be, and I think it's smart, and I think it's why you're successful, is to being open to feedback. Not, you know, you're, you are open to hearing what, what others have to say, um, if it is in regards to making things better. Um, so I think it's kind of, I hate to ask this question because you've already done so much, but where do you see long-term? Do you have, I have a feeling you have thought ahead, (laughs) but where do you see the family farm growing in years to come? That's a great question. So when I first came home from school, the idea of growing for everyone else instantly means, well, you just get more cows, you make more milk. But because I wanted to change how that cash flow was working here, it didn't mean adding more cows. I actually downgraded my herd from 100 cows to 60 cows. I am producing as much milk with 60 cows as I was 100 because of how much better this environment is for the animals. But where I am going to grow is going to be with the amount of people that walk through this operation. So by October 1st, I hope to have a pumpkin patch open only on Saturdays to get myself started this year so that people can not only come here, but also do some of those fall activities you talked about earlier, which really want to bring people in. The temperatures have dropped and they're ready to be outside with their kids again. Um, From there, I want to offer school field trips all year round. The unique thing about farming is that every single season brings a different set of challenges. And I mean, completely different. You go from sweating to how many layers of sweatshirts can I get on and still move my arms? (laughs) (laughs) And I want people to be able to walk through this facility during all four seasons and understand that we don't have an off season. There's always something and farmers need to be appreciated a little bit more And also people need to feel comfortable approaching their local farmers and know how to do that because not everyone is a young person like myself. Some of them are grumpy and older and kind of intimidating, (laughs) but knowing (laughs) that they have somewhere to go that they can ask questions no matter when is very important to me. It is. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that on how it's every season has its own challenges. What would you say what keeps you going through every season? Because I'm sure this has not been easy and it hasn't always been a smooth uphill. No, (laughs) absolutely not. Um, I cry more than a lot of people realize because nature is not fair and nature doesn't care about your feelings. And as producers, I'm pretty sure that's why most of us are as God-fearing people as we are. Because when you work in the outdoors, you understand we are not in control of anything. There is somebody else playing the cards and those cards aren't always fair. And that can be really, really tough to swallow. And just understanding that I am so privileged to 
to get to live where I live and provide who knows how many people with the food that quite literally sustains their family. I had a quote one time that said, once in your life, you need a doctor and a lawyer, but three times a day, every day, you need a farmer. Um, I get to impact so many people. And that's what's so special about opening my farm up to the public is I get to shake the hands of the families I feed. There's so many producers in this country that are so selfless and they bust their rear end each and every day and they never get a thank you. They just do it because we are the privileged 2% of the population left in this country that quite frankly have the responsibility of feeding this world. We have special soil here. We have special technology here and some people with a lot of guts and a lot of try. And we're trying to close that hunger gap, not only in our country, but this entire world. And knowing that you are a part of something so humble and so trying and quite frankly, ugly. Agriculture mm -hmm. is the most beautiful tragedy this world has to offer. But we don't let the tragedy win. We get up every day and we work just as hard so that we can not only put the clothes on our kids' back, but their kids at school too. Emily, I can feel your passion through <laughs> the interwebs. I am speechless. I'm speechless because this is the heart of this is the heart of a farmer. And um, when we returned to the country, our family, um, I grew up living in the country, surrounded by farms that then, mm -hmm. um, you know, were raised and just you know, disappeared one by one. And, yeah. you know, the cows across the street, they're gone. It's now industrial parks. And, and that is something that I miss terribly. And, and which was part of the reason for returning to the country, because I wanted our children to be surrounded by people like you. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you cry, I'm going to cry. I already said I cry too much. It's people like you Farm that actually make farmers <laughs> feel appreciated. You're not someone that's here to tell a terrible story about what we do every day. And there's not very many right. people out there that are willing to take back for farmers. It's much easier to blame us for the climate change issues. It's much easier to point Farm. your finger at that 2% and say, you're the whole problem instead of looking elsewhere. So no, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to tell a story that's too scary for most people to tackle. Yeah. I mean, because I feel like you guys are the backbone. You're the, you are, you are the fabric that just holds us together and you're invaluable and you are just appreciated. And that was part of the reason of t returning to the country was just to be around people who are hard workers that aren't afraid of it. And and love what they do and they're passionate and they stick with it. There's so much to be learned from a farmer. And I just feel like you are an unsung hero of this country. And I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate your dedication and keeping it going, something that's been going on for over a hundred years in your own family, but ensuring it's going to be available for the next generation and the next generation, something that is really becoming more and more unique and it needs to become more prominent again in our community. So I can't thank you enough for stepping in the role that is not an easy one and going to the extremes of doing what's not only best for the, for the 
for the cows themselves, for your herd, but also for the community in which you can reach because you're making a difference in the community and proximity that you have. And that's really all we need. We need more of that in, in our world and, and not seeing them disappear. And I am just so thankful for you and so thankful for you taking the time to do this interview. Can you share with listeners, how can they follow you, contact you, um, any details that would help get them kind of looking around at, um, at Mullen Dairy and Creamery and how they could stop by and pick up some products? Absolutely. There is one last thing I would like to say before I get into that. And it's that yeah, sure. my family did not support my dream when I started this journey. I was very, very put down by a lot of people that I thought were going to be in my corner. And it's so cool to see that they finally know what I'm doing has a purpose. So for anybody that might be listening to this podcast right now, it's okay for someone to tell you no. Sometimes the person that tells you no is your superhero, and they're the only person you want support from. But if you know in your heart that this is what you are supposed to do, you have to go do it. There's going to be so many people that tell you no and that it's impossible. And it's so cool that I get some of the attention I get now because of the uniqueness of my farm. It was not a pretty journey. And it's not a pretty journey for anyone. But don't be afraid to listen to people telling you no. You have to do it anyway. Well, and I think a lot of people need to hear that because they step into their dreams or they just don't do it because they don't have the support. It's one thing you want to do it and it's scary, but to not have that person in your corner. So uh, I'm glad that you, you fought for it. And on the other side of it, you know, those around you are getting to see why, why it meant so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Moving on from that, if you want to check out more about the Mullendarian Creamery, feel free to look us up on Facebook. I'm looking to have a website up here within the next two to three months. I'm a little bit Yay. behind on there, but always shoot me a Facebook message if something isn't quite working right with the page. I find there's been more and more errors with uh, that market page here lately. Also, you're more than welcome to just pop on out. We're open from 9 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Monday through Saturday for milk sampling always and for people to check out our store. Like I said, October 1st, we hope to launch our pumpkin patch. And I really hope to have a grand opening for the new facility in the next two to three weeks so people can at least walk through the barn and understand the craziness that has been going on here for about the last two years while we've been getting it up and running. Well, I will tell you this one, make sure you tell me when that grand opening is, because I'd love to pop <laughs> It'll by be on Facebook for sure. <laughs> okay. And then I definitely bring, be bringing our kids out to your patch this year because mine just did not happen. And it was great last year and I need a place to go. So our family will be there to support you come October on a Saturday. I cannot wait. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, friends, thank you so much for tuning in today and joining Emily and I here on the front porch of our 1837 farmhouse. Emily, thanks again for helping others hear a story of a life well lived. And it's absolutely been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for that. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you will rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share with those you know. If you'd like to see more of what life is like out here in the middle, you can find me on Instagram at farmhouse storyteller or head to my website, farmhousestoryteller.com. Thank you.